Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and uh, call us, 208-991-4783. And uh, become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. If you've, uh, I do encourage you check out our books on uh, Amazon. Uh, in paperback, we have my superhero uh, parody novel, Tales of the Damn Not, also available for the Kindle, free for those of you who have Amazon Prime. I think uh, you'll enjoy that. We've also got a new novella sequel out, Powerhouse Flies Again. And then there's a book I've been mentioning for quite a while, All I Needed to Know, I Learned from Columbo. And that is available on uh, in uh, various e-book forms, from the Kindle, for the iPad, for the Nook, and all other readers at Smashwords.com. And that one, we take a look at 12 great detectives, or 7 great detectives, and 12 life lessons from their careers in history. It's a fun read, and uh, is available as an e-book. Well, now we're going to get into today's episode of Sherlock Holmes, The Guest in the Coffin. From New York City, the makers of Clipper Craft Clothes for Men and more than 1,200 leading retail stores from coast to coast present Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's immortal character, the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes, starring John Stanley. <laughs> this week's story, The Guest in the coffin. Well, where's the funeral coach, Holmes? Downstairs. You see it? Yes, Watson. Come quickly. We must run down the stairs to meet them. I have my revolver ready, Holmes. Put it away, Watson. We shan't have need of it. Just yet. Yes, but they said when the funeral cortege comes, they'd kill you. I can't protect you if I put it away, you know. My dear Watson, the effort to kill me will not be as obvious as you think. No, it will be completely unexpected and as shocking a spectacle as you've ever witnessed. <laughs> Men, this is the time of year when our wives are planning their new spring wardrobe, so I don't think I'm out of order when I ask you. Isn't it time you bought a new spring suit, too? You don't have to spend a fortune. A genuine Clippercraft worsted suit costs only $45. But don't let that low price fool you. Clippercraft suits look like they cost many, many dollars more. Clippercraft suits have style you'd never expect to buy for $45. In a Clippercraft suit, you look your best. Your shoulders appear broader, your hips seem to taper down. You look and feel like you're somebody, somebody important. And you are. You're the best-dressed man in any group. So, go pick out a Clippercraft suit for yourself. And while you're about it, get a Clippercraft top coat, too, for only $40 to $47.50. Clippercraft clothes do things for you. Visit your local Clippercraft merchant tomorrow. 
Mr. Watson, what do you mean by a guest in the coffin? And to what sort of gruesome business would such a guest be invited? It was in the late 80s, Mr. Harris. It began at Charing Cross Station. There on the platform stood a short, red-faced, chubby gentleman in a black bowler hat. He looked about rather helplessly. Then he beckoned to a police officer. Constable. Uh, Constable. Yes, sir. May I be of assistance? I've just arrived here in London, and I'm rather confused. Uh, could you direct me to Earl's Court? Certainly, sir. Just a few stops on the inner circle underground. Uh, the uh, entrance to the underground is just your left, sir. And that will take me there? All right, you are, sir. Oh, thank you very much. I, I'm very grateful. <laughs> not at all, sir. You must allow me to show my appreciation. Uh, sorry, sir, we uh, do not accept uh, gratuity. Oh, but, officer, this is a special award. You see, I've selected you. Selected me? Yes. You should be the first of the London police to die. constable was pushed before the passing train, and his body was crushed. The chubby little gentleman in the black bowler hat vanished instantly into the panic-stricken crowd. This was the first step in a monstrous scheme. The second step was executed in Soho. It was very late in the evening. A bobby on a tour of duty was strolling past a dark alley when he heard a pitiable voice. Help me. Help me. Hello in there. Somewhere in this alley? Yes. Help me. Uh, what's wrong, sir? I, I, I'm very ill. I collapsed here. I, I can't breathe. My, my lungs. Yes, sir, I'll help you. A bit of artificial respiration, then I'll fetch an ambulance. <laughs> I'll just... <laughs> you've knocked the helmet off. Uh, now, uh, look, I'll just take you in my arms, so... Oh, uh, one moment. I must put my nightstick aside. Thank you. All I wanted was your club. <laughs> we thought it would be amusing for a police officer to be clubbed to death with his own club. Be seated, Lestrade. Pacing the floor of my flat in that nervous manner is not conducive to clear thinking. You may choose to regard this crisis, Holmes, as a, as a bagatelle, a trinket to be toyed with in your mind, but I find it most upsetting. Inspector Lestrade, how many police have died? Seven, Dr. Watson. The officer clubbed to death in Soho was followed by five more in various parts of London. You've read the newspapers, Holmes. You're conscious of the terrible fear gripping London? And the morale of the forces is at an absolute low. That is to be expected, Lestrade. The force is human, Holmes. The men leap for duty in a state of high tension. This series of police murders may lead to an unprecedented crime wave. It's, it's a signal to the scum of the London underworld to storm the very fortress of law itself. Mm, Lestrade, could you abandon the oratory long enough to tell me if there are any clues as to the identity of this Bobby killer? None. None whatsoever. Not that we at Scotland Yard are utterly helpless, mind you. But we are obliged to marshal every resource at our command. That, 
That's why we are requesting that you lend us the benefits of your incomparable skill as a detective. Well, Lestrade, your ineptitude as a criminologist is equaled only by your clumsiness as a diplomat. However, I shall look into these reports you've given to me. They are official copies, Holmes. Reports on the death of each policeman. After reading them, if you've a suggestion... I shall communicate with you, yes. It's a horrible business, horrible. Eh, Holmes? Oh, on the contrary, considering some police officers I know, rather tempting. Good night, gentlemen. <laughs> you are going to help, aren't you, Holmes? Yes, after reading and analyzing these reports, Watson, I shall take what steps I deem proper. I should say that the most vital point so far is the scope of these crimes. This is not the single discordant note struck by a petty crook. This is a broad, elaborately orchestrated scheme worthy of a certain very daring type of mind. I'll answer it, Holmes. Good evening, Dr. Watson. Mr. Holmes? Although you apparently recognize us, sir, I do not believe we may return the favor. My name is Jenkins. Hubert Jenkins. Is the purpose of your visit connected with the fact that you're a mortician? How did you surmise that? Although you are quite short and are wearing a black bowler hat, you stooped as you entered. The doorway is easily high enough. You are, therefore, in the habit of wearing an extremely high hat. The long black hat, typical of your profession. Uh, besides, your hands are stained by an acid. Arsenic, probably. Arsenical compounds being used in the preparation of embalming fluid. <laughs> oh, that's, that's amazing, Holmes. The purpose of my visit is definitely connected with my profession. And I do bury the dead. What may we do for you, uh, Mr. Jenkins? I have a message for you, Mr. Holmes, from my employer. Who is your employer? The gentleman with admirable humility wishes to remain anonymous. He wishes to present you, Mr. Holmes, with a gift. As an unknown admirer of yours, really the finest way to present a gift. And what is the gift? A coffin, sir. A coffin. A coffin? And what the... to be sure that the offer is accepted in the right spirit and that I'm not forced to go beyond this simple information, I was obliged to bring a gun. I appreciate your master's thoughtfulness, but I don't believe I can be his guest in the coffin. Oh, we shall attend to that little detail. Are you threatening to kill Holmes? Not threatening, Dr. Watson. Simply announcing a fact. By Friday midnight, Mr. Holmes, there will be need of a coffin for you. Who sent you? Where are you from? By George, you will answer now, me. Now, now, Dr. Watson, that is why I brought the gun. I do not want to answer any more questions. Uh, Mr. Holmes, my master is most anxious for you to be pleased. Do you have a preference as to the type of coffin you wish? Of all the grotesque, infuriating... Almost uh, any sort of coffin should do, Jenkins. I shall select one of our very attractive models, Miss Holmes. You may depend on it. It will be in superbly discriminating taste. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'd wind up my affairs if I were you, Mr. Holmes. You've so short a time... I believe I can spend the remaining days quite profitably, Jenkins. No doubt, sir. No doubt. Delightful visit, gentlemen. <laughs> Good evening. Well, Holmes, what shall we do? Who was he? Who sent him? Why should they want to kill you, Holmes? We shall do very little, Watson. We shall inform Inspector Lestrade of this extraordinary visit. Yes, and I'd say we search London for this Jenkins the Mortician. That would be futile. Jenkins is definitely not his correct name. It might take weeks to find him, and we have just a few days. No, we shall merely chat with Lestrade and then wait for Friday midnight. You mean just, uh, just wait till they come to kill you, Holmes? That's ridiculous. 
I'd turn London upside down to find that rascal. Then I'd beat him till he told us the name and whereabouts of his empire. Oh, impossible to accomplish by Friday, Watson. Besides, why bother? Jenkins promised to return here to Baker Street. He must deliver the exquisite coffin he's selecting. Uh, well, tell me, Holmes, did you learn anything from Jenkins's visit? Is there a clue as to who on earth is behind all this? Definitely. My imminent death and the death of a long line of London police are obviously connected. How? Both crimes are engineered by the same mind, Watson. No pedestrian mind could conceive of staging this macabre business. Your ordinary criminal would go after me with a knife, and that would be that. No, this is a mind with a more fiendish approach. They want me to suffer mentally before I do physically. And you propose sitting idly by and waiting until Friday night? Quite. Oh, I shall make some preparation for the combat, some polishing of a harpoon. Then what remains to be seen is whether, as in the pursuit of Moby Dick, we capture the awful monster, or it devours us. Five minutes before twelve. Yes, indeed, Watson. I do hope my would-be killer is a gentleman of his word. I can excuse the attempt to murder me, but being late for the game is unforgivable. Oh, really? I don't see how you can be so utterly carefree, Holmes, when you know that a diabolical mind is plotting to kill you within the next five minutes. Good Lord, what have you been overconfident, Holmes? And why the devil wouldn't you permit Lestrade to place a cordon of police about this house? Because, Watson, anyone shrewd enough to have killed all those bobbies and to have flung the gauntlet in my face this way has certainly anticipated a cordon. Besides, with policemen striding about, they might be in the way. We might bungle the capture of the killer. No, I prefer meeting my antagonist single-handed. Oh. Oh. Four minutes to twelve now. Aha. Excellent. The killers are on time. The window, Watson. See. Yes. Yes, on the street at the funeral coach. It's pulling up here, at our door. We must go down to greet them, Watson. Go down to greet them, Holmes? Have you lost your mind? Do you want to place yourself as a perfect target on the street with a gaslight? I'm for bolting the door and sending them up. Oh, nonsense, Watson. I want to meet them face to face. Yes, it's Jenkins, the mortician. He's, he's driving the funeral coach. He, he has a helper riding beside him. Come, Watson, quickly, down the stairs into the street. Uh, they, they shoot you as you appear the very minute you're on the street. Oh, not at all, Watson. The effort to kill me will not be as blunt and obvious as that. No, it'll be unexpected and as shocking a spectacle as you've ever witnessed. Then you know what they'll try to do. If I'm incorrect, we may only hope the coffin they've brought for me is the correct size and in good taste, since I shall have need of it. Here we are on the street. Well, here's the funeral coach. There's Jenkins. Good evening, Mr. Holmes. Dr. Watson. Good evening, Jenkins. Oh, steady, steady. Fine horses, don't you think? Splendid. We like everything about our funerals to be most impressive. There's your coffin, Mr. Holmes. One of our very best. Consider it of you. My master has said my helper and I should carry the coffin to your flat. Don't you move, Jenkins. Your helper either. Holmes will be very much alive at 12 o'clock, if I have anything to say about it. Oh, we aren't going to touch Mr. Holmes until he's dead, that is. A special way's been arranged for him to die. We've nothing to do with that part of it. It's a plan that begins at 12. There. Yes. Now you will see, gentlemen. Now you will see.
unless you're already familiar with Clippercraft clothes, you might find it hard to believe that Clippercraft worsted suits cost only $45, and Clippercraft top coats cost only $40 to $47.50, because they look like they cost much more. There's a good solid reason for this. Clippercraft clothes are sold by over 1,200 independent local merchants who have pooled their tremendous buying power to make these amazing Clippercraft values possible. In Clippercraft clothes, you get workmanship in the finest New England tradition, quality workmanship, and quality materials worthy of the famous Yankee Clipper ships from which Clippercraft clothes take their name. The local independent merchants who sell Clippercraft clothes are substantial established businessmen. Anxious to win and keep your friendship by giving you honest values. Now, they really mean it when they say, compare Clippercraft clothes with clothes costing many dollars more. That's why men who know insist on Clippercraft clothes bearing the Clippercraft label. So be sure to visit the Clippercraft store in your city. These leading stores in the metropolitan area are proud to add their names to Clippercraft in your suits and top coats. In Manhattan, Saks 34th, Broadway at 34th. John Wanamaker Men's Stores, Broadway at 8th and 67 Liberty Street. In Brooklyn, Abraham and Strauss. In Newark, New Jersey, Boulevard Men's Shop, Kresge, Newark. And in Jamaica, the B&B Clothes Shop, 16408 Jamaica Avenue. Dr. Watson, Dr. Watson, we left you and Mr. Holmes at a very crucial point. He was about to become someone's guest in a coffin. So he was, Mr. Harris. Holmes and I stood there on Baker Street by the gaslight in front of the funeral coach. The coffin was a horrible silhouette on the coach. Perched in the driver's seat was Jenkins, the mortician, and his helper. The plan to kill Holmes was to go into operation at midnight. And the clock had just struck twelve. So, Jenkins, the clock has struck. Holmes is alive. True, Watson, but the plan is in operation, however. Eh, Jenkins? It certainly is. Holmes, how can you stand there without seizing this jackanapes? I'll tell you that, Dr. Watson. Well, Inspector Lestrade, <laughs> you had him standing by, eh, Holmes? Of course, Watson, if you'd learned the virtue of patience, I... Step down off that driver's seat, Jenkins. Your helper, too. Oh, no, you don't, Inspector. Get up. <laughs> I've a gun! Scarper, shoot those horses! You'll be killed when that coach turns over. Hold up, hold up, whoa! I think too much of my neck, Inspector. I didn't think you'd disregard regulations and carry a gun. But I'm not risking my life to see this through. I'll come down. I'd a lot rather spend a while at Dartmoor than split my head on the road. Come on. Come on. You're under arrest for threatening homicide. Oh, thank heaven, Holmes. Something's been done about this. Has it? Walk ahead of me, Jenkins. My men are at the corner. I'll turn you over to them. All right. All right. <laughs> Seems to have worked successfully, Holmes. We've got the man. Good night. Good night, Lestrand. Well, I shall be most interested to learn what was back of all this. Should come out of Jenkins's trial, don't you think? Well, shall we go upstairs, Holmes? Return to the flat? No, Watson. Well, why not? Because we've scotched the snake, not killed it. Yes, but Jenkins and his man have been taken away. And what remains before us, Watson? What remains? Well, the coach, I suppose. And the coffin, it... The coffin, Holmes! Look at it! It's open. It is opening, Watson. And in a moment, stepping out of that coffin, you shall see the gentleman responsible for this entire affair. 
the sole opponent who can mobilize the powers of darkness so well that he commands even my respect. One of the first brains of Europe. Professor Moriarty. Good evening, uh, Dr. Watson. Moriarty, I've been expecting the pleasure of another meeting with you ever since Jenkins first arrived at my flat. Really, Holmes? Then you recognize my hand in this? You tell me about it. Oh, don't be disconcerted by my revolver. Moriarty, only a brain such as yours would presume to obliterate the police of London. Stage of mass murder. A magnificent idea, I think. The picture was irresistible to me, Holmes. Imagine the canvas, if you will. Once I have killed a sufficient number of police, you will have a London without law and order. A great city, demoralized, chaotic, stripped of its civilized airs. The people of London reduced to their animal level. Yes, just as Gustave Dore did in his etchings of Dante's Inferno. I shall be an artist who creates a panorama of degradation. I'm well on my way home. Yes, Moriarty. Of course, Jenkins can no longer do the murdering for you. He's been captured. Oh, I've so many on my staff. Besides, Jenkins will be released. He certainly will not. I shall release him, Dr. Watson. I promised him that. Removing a man from Dartmoor should not be difficult for me. You promised him that? Then you anticipated Lestrade's arresting him. <laughs> Certainly. I knew Holmes would have police skulking about somewhere. I knew I must distract them. So I sacrificed Jenkins, leaving me alone with you and Holmes. You see, Holmes, if I am to banish law from London, you must die too. I shall therefore kill you now and place you as I swore I would in this coffin. It would be a supreme delight for you, Moriarty, wouldn't it? To have gone so far as to inform me in advance that I was to die, to have selected my coffin and succeeded in placing me in it. That is just what will happen now, Holmes. I shall pull the trigger, which is just a foot from your celebrated brain, and I shall blow that brain of yours to bits. Oh, of all I have placed just two bullets in here, Holmes. One for you, one for Dr. Watson. <laughs> a conceit, I admit. Now, you will become my guest in that coffin. I pull the trigger. Oh, my leg! Did I get him, Holmes? I can't see. Yes, Lestrade. No, he didn't. My leg is bad, but... There it goes, the coach. Shoot again, Lestrade. Confounded, I was too far off. We never catch that funeral coach now. Holmes, why didn't we think of blocking up all the surrounding streets in case this happened? Yes, you have Jenkins Holmes for the murder of the Bobbies. But now Moriarty will go on to devise some new deviltry and challenge you again. Why didn't you think of that, Holmes? Didn't I, Watson? Uh, brandy and soda, Holmes? No, Watson, thank you. you know, by Joe, this affair happened so quickly, I don't quite understand how you defeated Moriarty. The fact that it was Professor Moriarty who was behind this carnival of crime, Watson, was obvious. 
The nature of it, as I've pointed out, indicated just one man. It was also clear the attempt to kill me would involve Jenkins, who was the puppet manipulated by Moriarty. That I knew that Moriarty himself would attempt the actual homicide, trusting only himself with a major task of a murder. I see. Moriarty hoped we would concentrate our attack on Jenkins and his helper, the only assassins visible, and that we would relax our guard after their capture. Yes, quite. He believed that would leave the field clear for him. But he did not think one step further. He should have realized I'd guess he was behind this, that I'd know he was eventually appear, either in disguise or in hiding. And what place more convenient and less likely to be examined than the coffin itself. I realized all this in advance. Then you told Estrade to arrest Jenkins, go through the motions of leaving, but to return almost instantly to deal with Moriarty, who would still be due to appear uh, probably from the coffin, eh? Precisely. And there was a rather neat balance to the tableau, I believe. What do you mean? Moriarty, vanishing into the night, on the funeral coach, whipping his horses, the coffin bobbing up and down behind him. Moriarty, with his first and only love, death. And I, with mine, my easy chair, and my pipe. <laughs> Dr. Watson, the guest in the coffin was a spine-tingling adventure. I'm sure you have another tale for us next week that's just as intense and thrilling. I most certainly have such a story for you, Mr. Harris. Next week I shall relate to you the adventure of a hangman and the book. It concerns a park in Paris, famous for its lovely trees and flowers. A dead body dangling by a rope. And a bookstore that concealed an awful secret. Makers of Clipper Craft Clothes and more than 1,200 stores from coast to coast have brought you another in the new series of broadcasts featuring the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. Our stories are based upon the character Sherlock Holmes created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. The program is produced and directed by Basil Lachman. Sherlock Holmes is played by John Stanley, Dr. Watson by George Felton. This week's story was written by Howard Merrill with special music by Albert Berman. Be sure to listen next week to Sherlock Holmes and the adventure of the hangman in the book. Cy Harris speaking for Clippercraft Clothes. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Welcome back. Wow. I don't know if... Uh, you know, that was a rough uh, episode in terms of quality. I don't know if I would go as far as to say that the best part of the program was the Clippercraft commercials. Um, but it's kind of close. Um, the one thing that I will say, I don't want to go on some uh, longish deconstruction, uh, but the big thing I think I didn't like about this episode uh, was the uh, way that the relationship between Holmes and Moriarty uh, was uh, portrayed. Uh, first of all, it was telegraphed throughout the whole episode. You know, or you know, I'm sitting there at the end. It's, Shock! No, it's Moriarty. Um, but beyond the telegraphing, it's kind of the nature of a relationship. You know, I think when you get back to the book and the, the, the story, the final problem, and part of the reason why that, you know, it did not satisfy readers, I think with the final problem, we had a, a real ultimate uh, battle 
um, between uh, good and evil in um, Holmes and Moriarty. And, uh, you know, clearly there was a sense of achievement in getting uh, Moriarty. Uh, but there was also a sense that justice needed to be done, and no matter what the cost, uh, this was going to be what Sherlock Holmes was going to pursue. And, you know, I think that titanic uh, struggle, you know, two people fairly well matched, uh, great criminal, uh, great uh, detective, facing off as ultimately, you know, enemies and rivals is defining them. I think so much of literature, you know, I, I think, of course, you've had good versus evil in, um, in stories, uh, in books for, you know, ages. Um, but I think, you know, once you get past the Greek mythology, what uh, Doyle did here in setting up the final problem is this sort of feeling of a, you're almost in a battle between ultimate good, ultimate evil. In this case, it's a battle of wits. But I think this is carried over into other genres, whether you're watching the latest superhero flick or what have you, uh, the idea of building this kind of ultimate showdown between uh, equally talented and skilled people on opposite sides of that question uh, has just been such a hallmark of, hallmark of fiction. Uh, in this case, uh, what we have in this particular episode of Sherlock Holmes is evil represented in Mor Moriarty and sort of uh, passe indifference. Holmes's great passion being for his nice, comfortable chair. Now, come on. I can't help but think that there just has to be a better way to do these um, non-canonical uh, uh, Moriarty appearances than a radio program did. Uh, and this one, I think, may have been just the, mo the most uh, rough form of that. All right, well, I'd love to hear what you think. Uh, you can email me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.